welcome to this week's episode um, from Language and You. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about three articles that can that talk about language, culture, and identity. Um, so today, my so today my name's Emily, um, and I'll let the rest of my team introduce themselves. My name is Teddy. My name is Manny. And my name is Madison. Yeah. So. I guess to start off like the conversation, um, one of the first articles that we um, kind of have for this week, um, it's the Yuchinagachi, uh, The Language of My Heart. Um, and for me, uh, I think something that stuck out from this article um, was just the way, I think as a whole, the article talks about um, the colonization of language, um, but just the um, just the way in which um, you see these dominant languages like um, the Japanese language or the English language um, dominate over indigenous languages, um, I think is something that really stuck out to me. Uh, I was gonna say, I also feel like this first article connected to last week, because um, like last week we were talking about how they were getting punished for speaking Spanish in schools and in this article, it's mentioned how in Japan, she was getting punished for speaking her indigenous language at school. And when she went home, her dad was like, well, it's a Japanese school. You should be speaking Jap Japanese. And um, her grandfather was the one who was like encouraging her to hold on to that indigenous language and their culture. Yes, yeah, sort of similar to what Madison said. Um, I was surprised how the article began with, um, don't you talk that, dirty language and as the teacher hit the student in the head and when the student went back to their home their dad was like um what's it called it's a Japanese school you're supposed to speak Japanese and the thought that the parents wouldn't protect the children they just want to be right with the government and with like the school they want to follow the rules it's something that sort of shocked me in a way that you should be promoting your language, not keeping it hidden, hidden. Yeah, it disturbed me that like the dad would feel that way. Like he, he seemed scared of what would happen to his daughter and to them if, if they just embrace their own culture. And that's very disturbing to me that it could happen anywhere, but it definitely does happen here that people are scared to live the way that they live. I think honestly, it just speaks to the trauma that these communities have faced um, because of the colonization that was going on within the communities. Like, living in like a mil militarized space like honestly that causes and like being forced to assimilate to a culture that you never knew that you had to like learn and like so I think it, it comes for them to like speak to their children of like kind of pushing them away from their more indigenous roots like I think it comes it comes a lot to say of like the traumatic experiences that they've had um, because of these colonial forces. Um, yeah. It definitely reminded me of, I mean, we talked about the uh, movie from last week talking about 
Spanish speakers being punished. Uh, it also reminded me of the Native American conversion schools that we had all over North America. That same like, how dare you speak that way? It's dirty attitude specifically that especially the early Native American schools had that everything about these Native American cultures was dirty and gross to the, the white oppressors. So it definitely reminded me of the way that we did that here in the States. Uh, and just the, the role that the government has in all of that, of specifically making these laws, again, like we talked about last week, um, to keep people down and to keep people assimilating and ignoring their own cultures. Yeah, I think to add on to that, um, to even a conversation from last week of how we were talking, or I don't even think last week, but the first week of class, and we were doing the myth versus fact activity and where um, we were talking about like um, the amount of words that like a person who does who only speaks English versus a person who's bilingual and like not knowing and like how some words just can't translate into English. Um, and I think there was there was a part in the article um, in which um, in which it states like I wish they could feel the casa loom. That's the word. That's a word that doesn't exist in English. It expresses the emotion that you love something so much that it brings you sadness. And I think for me, it just it, when I read that part, it brought me back to that fact um, in the sense in where like they're losing a part of like their language and the words that and the amount of words that they're able to express themselves with. So like um, once this word is lost from a, and it's not passed down to another generation or another person, like, um, you know, like that word is gone forever and it kind of goes back to the Hawaiian um, language that we were talking about last week um, in the sense of where, where it was trying to be revived. And it was like a lot of the generational force that has to go with that. Um, and I think that that really spoke within um, the article as well. Okay, so something this reminds me of, this article reminded me of was how back in the day, you weren't allowed to speak Spanish in English speaking schools. <laughs> Sorry, and how learning Spanish was not was not allowed, and how there was many other consequences facing um, speaking the language. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and I think like <clears throat> as we continue to even move on to like talking about language as a whole, like we even see it within the the article. Spanglish isn't a word, isn't a wrong form of English. It's how great stories are told. I think a big overarching theme um, within both of the articles that we see um, between both of these articles is the act of resistance and how language can be used um, as that form of resistance, especially how um, the, the Yuchin the Aguchi, the language of my heart article ends. It states, my language is not dirty. My language is powerful. Kasalum unagachi, the language of my heart. And then, um, and even in the other article of this book that talks about Spanglish, um, it's just like, for me, what really spoke out was like this form of resistance um, that is coming out from language. 
And to add on to that, like the end of the um, urine gachu, I think I said that wrong, um, article, it also says how like it says schools must be places where youth are empowered to learn and nourish heritage languages to use and spread them to the next generation. I think this article really connects well to both of the other ones in that like one is more about culture, the um, Arab American Muslim mother, and the other is more about language for the Spanglish one, but uh, those connect in this article. Yeah, and I think like even going on and like connecting to this article of culture and like also just the aspect of culture, like language is part, is a, it's a large part of culture, you know, like everything is very intertwined within one another. And so <clears throat> it comes to a term of like, um, like how it, it comes to show just how part, how in large part language um, is tied to the aspect of culture and within that specific uh, community that the culture relies on. Um, just like how that is, how the culture in itself is passed down within um, generations and, and so forth. And, and even connecting to the, um, the article as an Arab American Muslim mother, here's, here's the education I want for my children. It goes even back to the generational piece, like within herself, like in her schooling experiences, she's, seen, she's um, lived these experiences and where she's felt isolated and where she's felt um, not represented within the school environment. And like, she obviously sees this continuing into the generation of her children. Um, and so it just kind of, for me, like overlying, it kind of speaks to this large generational aspect, the large resistant aspects, the emphasis of language um, within culture. And yeah. I think the most important part um, to me when I was reading the uh, Arab American Muslim mother was uh, the way they focused on that multiple perspectives idea that it's not just about having everyone in the same classroom and maybe hopefully talking about their home lives and their cultural traditions and stuff. It's about actually showing what different groups of people think about the same issues and showing the history of all of these different cultures and how they've changed and what real people are like. And going off of that, it's also like showing like the positives of a culture because in the article she mentions how um, the only time her kids have like learned about being Arab American or being from being Muslim or from Palestine is when they've heard about 9-11 and heard about terrorism. They haven't learned anything positive about it in school. And so that means that people who are not from that culture, the other students are only learning the negative. Um, so I think it's really important if it's like, to, well, sorry, when we include this in the school curriculum to include the positive as well so that they're not only learning the negative. And also to include it um, she mentions how like when geography is studied, 
they don't even mention Palestine. So like as a teacher, something you could do if you're like studying geographies, you could probably ask your students like where their ancestors are from, like where they come from in their culture and like point that out on the map so that other students know and can learn about it. And a lot of uh, ethnicities are in this, a similar position in that like, they don't have an officially recognized country, but they used to, or they have a very defined uh, ethnic group in comparison to the one that is in charge of the country. So there are a lot of different um, countries where this would come up of like, Kosovo is a recently formed nation that okay, maybe someone is from Kosovo and they didn't get to see their country on a map before and now they do. So making sure we we acknowledge those kinds of groups that don't have their own country, but they're still important groups. Um, what Madison said about, uh, pointed out about 9-11 and how the mom said that that's the only time her culture gets brought up for her children. I was thinking about that this week because it is, of course, the 20th anniversary now in a few days. Um, and as soon as I remembered specifically that it was the 20th anniversary of it, my first thought was, oh, there are going to be so many kids who get stared at and singled out when this comes up in the classroom. And that's so, that's so unfortunate and it's so upsetting just to know that we can try, we can try and, and help people and fix that attitude, uh, but it does happen. Yeah, and going off of that, like it, it directly in the article, she talks about how she specifically says how in the fourth grade, when children are taught that Muslims are terrorists, um, as in this teacher's September 11th lesson, how are they supposed to process who their Muslim classmates are? Um, it just like directly connects, you know, like at a young age, these children, these students are being exposed to these um, stereotypes that will stay with them as they go on through their educational journey, right? Um, and they, because the school system in itself, like, is in a way of like kind of it's kind of as if as it's set up typically traditionally it's like the kids are more just taking in whatever the teacher says rather than questioning it right so then um obviously there they're there then comes to a lot of um you know the kids are just going to believe these these things that the teacher says or the way that the teacher frames it um and it just continues to so the thinking that they will develop in the future um, and it's very, very disheartening and very um, disappointing, I would say, um, because, you know, it's just, yeah. yeah. And even when the teachers do sort of try to, like, bring cultures in from outside the classroom and have them, like, be relevant and do something with the people's home lives, when they do it wrong... Like there was um, in my high school human geography class, we were talking about religion. We were doing the 
religion overviews for a bunch of the major ones. So of course we talked about Islam and there was only one Muslim person in the class. So the teacher decided to single her out and ask her to explain her religion to everyone. It was so uncomfortable for me to like watch that, but I cannot imagine how awful she must have felt just even being asked that like, hey, could you explain this entire culture that some people might be mad at you just for being in this classroom with us and now you have to explain yourself and people like you? Oh, it was so bad. Yeah, like I... I definitely do not dislike when teachers do that. Like if you're like the only person of color in a class and like you're expected to like share, like share your experiences and like kind of in a sense speak on behalf of like your specific race or ethnic group. Like it just like, I don't know, for me, it's just like everyone experiences are different. Like, yes, there may be commonalities, but like everyone has their own lived experiences. And I think that especially singling out that student it's just like this it's not the job of the students to be teaching other people about you know culture about anything that relate to any of their identities like it's not the responsibility of the of the teacher like or at, at anyone at, the, at any point like um if people want to learn more like they should be able to learn more and the in the essence of like classes and where students may be a little younger, like, yeah, it's falls on the responsibility of the teacher to open up this dialogue um, and like have this information, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, but I think it also just comes to like this aspect of like living a double life, you know, living um, this dual life and where um, you have all this like tradition and culture and customs and home that you do things a specific way and then at school, like, it doesn't really fit in, you know? And I think, um, uh, like, there's different ways that people can't relate to this or cannot relate to this. But um, I think it's just interesting, especially how sometimes, like, mainstream holidays, like, as the article talks about, like, when it comes to, like, Christmas or, like, you know, like, those, like, typical... <coughs> holidays that is like so like widely like celebrated in a sense at schools especially like it's kind of accepted but like they also leave out a lot of students um who may not you know celebrate those holidays so it's like I don't know it brings a lot to, into question and like also going back to what the story Teddy told earlier that relates to the article because in the article she talks about how her kids are being asked all the different questions about their religion and their culture like they're being asked why don't you celebrate Christmas what's Palestine do you believe in Jesus and all these other questions and they have to answer that at such a young age when the teacher should kind of be facilitating these discussions I feel like and I feel like it's not that hard to do like a little bit of research on it so that you can answer some of these questions for your students or at least be there to support the students who are answering the questions and who are a part of that culture. Yeah, and I think like going off of that, um, 
in the article itself, um, it talks about how the the article um as an Arab American as an Arab American Muslim mother, here is here's the education I want for my children. She even talks about like names and like how um how just like like how names that are really tied to the language of the, the, the culture is not really like respected or not seen for like the beauty that they do hold and the value that they hold within their perspective communities, you know? Um, I think that was like, that's something um, important because I feel like names often do speak a lot to, um, to certain cultures and it's like a big part. Um, and I think like, as as well, the author was saying how this was a big part for her, like for her children, for their names to be recognized, for the, the beauty that they hold, like that that was a big part for her as well. Yeah, she gives the example of her daughter and how, in her daughter's case, the name uh, is like, as she says, how names pay homage to your ancestors and then she says or in my daughter's case to her grandmother who was born in Palestine and she says the beauty and the range of students names is rarely recognized but can serve as a rich lesson to learn about the heritage of the children in the classroom so kind of how like names are a part of your identity and they're also a part of your culture because they bring you back to like your ancestors and like your home yeah I even think connecting back to that is like a big part of it is also like not upholding to um, like the English standards or like, you know, not being seen as like legitimate in that sense. Um, and it kind of goes back to um, a couple of the articles last week, but it also connects to like this Spanish article in the sense in where um, even since like Spanglish sometimes isn't seen as like legitimate because like, you know, it's not a formal type of like Spanish or not a formal type of English, right? Um, and so like what what upholds these like standards is like the sense of like, um, I would say like whiteness. Um, and so I thought that was like a connection between there. Um, and as a person who often, I would say speaks Spanglish because I, I I do, I'm not gonna say I don't. Um, I I don't know, it's just, for me, it's just part of like who I am as a person. Like, it just like flows out. Like I'm talking to my dad, like he, I mean, doesn't understand English, but like, if I like say something, a word in English, like he'll understand what I'm trying to say. Um, I'll be like, you know, I'll say like, I don't know, I'll just mix the words. Like I can't think about it on the spot cause it just flows, you know, but, uh, it's just like when you're in conversation, especially within your own community um, or within the community that speaks Spanish and English, like it just comes out. And I think that the article in itself, um, the, the Spanish article, it really stuck out to me um, as a Spanish speaker myself. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Emily. It just sort of like falls out, especially when you're around other Spanish speakers when you're having a conversation. For example, when I talk with my friends who speak Spanish, 
it just it's an automatic mixture of both languages like we'll start off like i don't know like i don't know how to give an example either because it's just sort of like automatic um but yeah you it just happens at the moment but when you're like speaking just english and you don't know a word in english it happens for example i'd be forgetting a basic word in english but i'll say it in spanish and hopefully other people will understand what i'm saying you know yeah and i think it for me it like goes back well at least like in the article it went back to a lot of like how she was having these conversations with her own like her own dias her own aunts her um, and how this was a way for them to kind of bond and like form that community. And I thought that was like, kind of like super cute uh, um, in a sense, like that, that they were able to share that together because um, I think like, it just also shows the power of language and the power it holds to bring people together, right? I think that's why language is a form of communication. So um, yeah, I don't know. It just really stuck out to me. <laughs> Yeah, and specifically since she just got to the country when she was 15, she did not know any English. So obviously communicating is going to be hard for her and her whole family. So finding comfort in Spanglish should be something that you should be grateful for not being ashamed of. And yeah, there should be no formal level of Spanish or English. It can just be whatever you feel comfortable comfortable with and if you're communicating with someone as long as they get the point it should be all right i think like going along with the the spirit of that that like that's just how people talk and that's just the level of each language and each vocabulary that comes to you when you're trying to communicate your ideas and like that's just how language is it changes and when two communities are next to each other speaking different languages, words bleed over and these things come together to form new sets of vocabulary. So the idea that people would try to stop that and try and prevent that, that mixture, it's really just futile. I mean, there's no, there's no way to ever stop language from evolving. So to try to stop Spanglish from existing by making these formal conventions and not allowing publishing in Spanglish because it's not quote unquote real, it is. People talk like that, that makes it a real language and it shouldn't be this hard to respect that. Oh, I was just gonna say, I agree with that. It made me really sad at the part of the article where she was talking about how when she goes to writers workshops and like writes in Spanglish, a lot of people don't like it. Like how someone was telling her how that's not real English. You can't publish that, you can't write like that. But so, like Teddy said, people talk like that. It is a real language. So she should be able to write in it. Yeah, and I think a good like, sentence that or like a couple sentences that like kind of would summarize like everything that we're like saying right now is like um so it, it's in the article um and it says 
here we lived and spoke in Spanglish because it made sense for us. Our lived experience did not take shape in white English or in standard Spanish. It was a mix and match of sounds. We heard us from the different Latin American immigrant groups. So it just kind of like summarized everything that we're talking about. And I was like a big part of, you know, like what she was trying to get at in this form of like culture, this form of resistance that is, is shaped within the community. Um, and yeah, is there anything else that like stuck out to you from this, um, these articles, like from any of them? Um, I think a lot of what we've said ties into the power of like language, the formation of culture, formation of community, um, brings in a lot of like the aspect of colonization and this aspect of like the standardization, the standardization of English based on like white standards. And um, I think that's something that we've covered like in this class, also last class, and how it's it's a it's a trending theme, I think. And I I don't and I and I I don't I'm for sure like it's not going to go away. You know, I think like it's in the beginning of the class because like, I feel like these are foundational aspects or key aspects to like the different things we're gonna continue to learn about. And going back to this week's lecture, for example, um, language isn't it isn't tied to a specific ethnicity. You can be you can be Mexican and speak Korean, or vice versa. Um, you know, just speaking English is not the definition of American. Like the U.S. has no official language, so anybody can speak or write in any language they can. You shouldn't be, um, what's it called? You shouldn't be forced in a way to be writing the, what is it called, white English? As long as you, like I said before, as long as you, and as long as it can get your point across, it should be fine. And also, for example, um, I also had some trouble with, um, my nationality in a way, uh, to give an example of my own. Um, for example, I'm Mexican-American, but I don't consider myself Mexican-American since I was born here in the United States. But ethnicity, I'm Mexican. But in a way, it goes back and forth. So I wouldn't really know what to say to other people no and and many um thanks for sharing but like that's the same way like I, I feel like I, I at least for myself I identify um I I mean I don't say that I'm Mexican-American I just say that I'm Mexican or I say that I'm Latina you know like I I don't know for some reason I've never really identified with the American side but although I mean I live in America right I do follow some American holidays but, but um I guess it's just like you know, what you choose, what you feel like you um, resonate with more. And I think that that's like the role in which like culture plays and like language traditions, et cetera, so. It seems like that would pretty much always be an uncomfortable question to have posed at you. Like someone hears you speak Spanish, so then they ask you what you are, where you're from, some people asking that might be expecting you to say you weren't born here. 
other people wouldn't think twice when you say you were, but your parents are for some, from somewhere else or your grandparents are from somewhere else. But man, I can't imagine having, every time someone looks at me, they ask, oh, where are you from? Thinking I'm gonna say Germany. That would be awful. Yeah, same. I can't imagine being asked any of those questions and like being kind of like forced to answer them on the spot, even when you're like not sure how to answer it. Yeah, one example when I get asked where are you from, like do I say I'm from I'm Mexican, I'm from Mexico, or do I say I'm from Schaumburg, a suburb in Chicago? Like what form of where are you from do you want? My ethnicity or my hometown? So it's like, I feel like that question needs to get changed in a way, reworded into another form of a statement to be more clear and more respectful in a way. Yeah, and I think that goes off to like, I feel like I've been seeing this a lot more. It's like maybe asking like, where do you consider home? Like, like making it like a broad, like, you know, like it could be a specific store like any place that makes you feel good like that or like what makes you feel like comfortable like that is your home in a sense or like it could be your home in a sense and so like it's really like home it's really what you make of it right um and so I feel like those are some that's like an example of a framing that I've seen like lately um but yeah I think that's all we had for today, folks. Um, but thank you for tuning in to Language and You. Um, stay tuned for our episode next week. And we will also be continuing our conversation on language, culture, and identity. Um, but we'll, we'll, it'll be part two, specifically what's in a name. Um, so stay tuned um, for next week's episode. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.